I'm Megan Bob, and I'm here to understand the mysteries of wrestling. And I'm Miles, and I'm here to help with the aid of my favorite wrestling show. This is The Next Wrestling Fan, an NXT review podcast for would-be wrestling fans who don't know where to start. And current wrestling fans who want to relive the magic of that first time. This week, we fall to our knees and mourn the betrayal (laughs) of the episode of NXT that originally aired on April 10th, 2014. In this episode, some wrestling happens. It's Mm -hmm. true. There is a little bit of the wrestling, but, but who cares about that? The important thing is the feelings and the fact that we have so many new friends. Oh boy, do we. Welcome to episode 47 of The Next Wrestling Fan, a podcast of fights and feels. Last episode, Bob and I had very different opinions on the Sami Zayn, (laughs) Corey Graves storyline, which is fine. We are friends. We are reasonable adults. We are allowed to disagree on something without it being the end of the world. Twitter. (laughs) I mean, we have had a lot of practice. Our last podcast was literally us fighting all the time. Or fighting on the same side, but fighting with friends constantly. That's a good point. I am very curious to see what we agree and disagree on for this episode, which was kind of fucking bonkers and which Mm. introduced us to several new people. We will hear more about them in Bob's Breakdown, followed by the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. Then we'll get Bob's latest women's wrestling history fanfic, put a new twist on our knowledge of championships in wrestling term of the week. And as always... Close up shop by completing the cheap pop quiz. But before we get to all of that, it is time to hear the answers to last episode's cheap pop quiz. Bob is currently rolling with six points Mm -hmm. here in our fifth round of quizzing. They need 15 for their next romance novel bonus episode. So let's see if they got any closer to that goal. Question number one. The next episode of NXT takes place after WrestleMania 30 and the episode of Raw immediately following WrestleMania 30. In that time, which major NXT-related event has occurred? Is it A, Bo Dallas debuted on Raw by winning the Intercontinental Championship in his first match? B, Paige debuted on Raw by winning the Divas Championship in her first match. C. Rusev debuted at WrestleMania by attacking John Cena after his victory over Bray Wyatt. D. Neville appeared in the very first Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal at WrestleMania, where he suffered an injury. Or E. Sami Zayn appeared in the very first Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal at WrestleMania, where he suffered an injury. Bob, you had good instincts on this one. Oh, thank you. You went with A, Bo Dallas debuting on Raw by winning the Intercontinental Championship in his first match. That is not correct, but you were close. It was B, Paige debuted on Raw and won the Divas Championship in her first match. I have actually seen that bit, and I thought it came later. Question number two. Which of the following does not take place on the next episode of NXT? Is it A, JBL Returns, B, Oliver Gray, one half of the first ever tag team champions alongside Adrian Neville Returns, C, Devin Taylor interviews a referee backstage, D, the winner of season one of Game Show NXT, who has already been on the main roster for a while, makes his NXT debut, or E, 
Bo Dallas has a meltdown upon finally realizing that the fans don't actually like him. Bob, you went with B, uh, Oliver Gray returning. You said that was mm. not going to happen. That was incorrect, unfortunately. Oliver Gray yeah. is here. We'll talk about that later. The correct answer was D. The winner of season one of Game Show NXT is a man by the name of Wade Barrett, and he oh. does not make his NXT debut in this episode. Question number three. The next episode opens with a memorial image for a wrestler who was inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame on April 5th and died on April 8th. What is that wrestler's legal name? Is it A, Barbie Blank, B, Curtis Hussey, C, Gianna Daddio, D, Michael Hickenbottom, or E, Warrior? All of these are actual real names of pro wrestlers. Bob, you went with A, Barbie Blank. Uh, that is the real name of Kelly Kelly. Oh, uh, That okay. is incorrect, unfortunately. Curtis Hussey is Fandango. Gianna oh. Daddio is Liv Morgan. Michael oh. Hickenbottom is Shawn Michaels. Ah. But the correct answer is E, Warrior. His name used to be Jim Helwig, and he portrayed a character named the Ultimate Warrior, and he was a little bit of a weird guy who ended up legally changing his name to the mononym Warrior. So mm. that is what happened. And he unfortunately... Uh, passed away very shortly after reconciling with Vince McMahon and being inducted finally into the Hall of Fame. Very interesting guy. Anyway, we have a lot of interesting things to talk about on this episode, so let's jump right into it, Bob. It is time for Bob's Breakdown. This episode is in memory of Warrior, who passed yes. away in 2014 at the age of 54. Miles, would you like to say anything about this gentleman? Because I know nothing about the Ultimate Warrior. It's very hard to explain him succinctly. Um, okay. Weird guy, not a great wrestler. Uh, okay. Very strange history. The The WWE has kind of sanitized him. They're pretending that he, at this point, that he was like always their friend. And, oh. the fact, and that they never put out a DVD set called The Self-Destruction of the Ultimate Warrior. Oh. Uh, so, yeah, it's a whole thing. All right. So we find out that Daniel Bryan won the World Heavyweight Championship and that Paige won the WWE Divas Championship on the Raw Fallout show? That is correct. Fallout? Yes! The Adam Rose experience is here for a good time. And they've added four people in these partially inflated suits. Uh, sort of like, what if one of the trippier Beatles movies reimagines sumo wrestling by way of mod culture? That's, That's about a good what description. We're at. Yeah. Danny Birch is already in the ring and yelling at the audience because they're doing that. That was awesome chant already. And he's not <laughs> having it. And if I didn't mention this last time that we had Danny Birch on, I would want to say, and I'm stealing this turn of phrase from Hub. He looks like a thumb. And he looks like a thumb <laughs> if a thumb had a chip on its shoulder. So if you can imagine that, that's about Danny Burge. I'm just trying to imagine a thumb with a shoulder. Yeah, right? I know. Yeah. It boggles the mind. Rose does a little prance around Birch, who kicks him in the stomach. So he heads for the ropes to do his best impression of The Swing, <laughs> that 18th century oil painting by Jean-Honoré. Ooh, Fra Fragonard. <laughs> I don't speak French. <laughs> Shouldn't have put that name in there. Should have asked Neil how to speak French beforehand. That was all you. Now. Nobody made you do that. That was you no, doing that they, to you. I know. I put a tripwire for myself and then went, who put this tripwire here? I did. So anyway, it's a masterpiece of the Rococo period. And I want to say, if you need an adjective to describe Adam Rose, you could do worse than Rococo. That's so, true. 
Rose gets the better of Birch, gets him down on the mat with Birch's arm held painfully straight, and Rose just looks up at the crowd, eyes squinched like when Thor asks Bruce Banner, Is he, though? (laughs) And the crowd starts chanting, Adam Rose, Adam Rose. At this point, I want to say, who the fuck is this other guy on commentary, Miles? Oh, this is Rich Brennan. And okay. Uh, okay. he's going to be a part of our lives for a while. I don't hate him. I don't hate him. I just don't like new things. So I historically do hate him. Okay. Um, I remember distinctly hating him on many occasions <laughs> when listening to his commentary on NXT. Okay. From reading like a lot of the internet dialogue in the years since, it seems like people liked him and they were mad when he went away, which I didn't understand at the time. So I'm kind of trying to approach this rewatch with an open mind toward Rich mm-hmm. Brennan because it is very possible he doesn't deserve the vitriol that I frequently <laughs> leveled his way. <laughs> Because people seem to have, there seems to be a general impression that he was really good. Um, Okay. We're going to have to continually update uh, the Miles Thermometer on Rich Brennan as we go forward. Because I really would like it if I had different feelings about him this time around. That would make me happy. But also part of me viscerally reacts to Rich Brennan. is like, oh no. Well, it didn't help. That he was on commentary with Alex Riley and Tensai, who were catfighting a bit throughout. Yeah, it never does. So he ended up having to be Peacemaker, which is fine. It just wasn't great. Commentary was a real mess. Yeah, commentary was not great for this episode. All right, so Rose punishes Birch all the way into the corner and down to the mat so Rose can do the testicle torpedo. Where he flies crotch wide open at his opponent's neck. And I would have liked that Creed song a lot more if it had been crotch wide open, but it was not. With crotch wide open. open. All right. Rose successfully puts away Birch by leaping from the middle to elbow drop Birch without his elbow pad on. Mm. Pins him for three and it's over. Miles, do the elbow pads and forearm pads or whatever those things are that go on the upper arm or lower arm serve a medical purpose do you know what it is if it is medical and is whenever they take them off in the ring and you know look at the camera and hold it is that shorthand for now i'm getting serious because i'm not using protection yes it absolutely is uh first of all whenever a wrestler dramatically removes their elbow pad to do an elbow related move (laughs) or dramatically removes their knee pad to do a knee related move you know that shit just got real. Okay. Um, I believe there are some protective qualities to it as terms of why wrestlers wear them. Although I imagine it's like protecting their opponent as much as protecting themselves, mm. which is one of the reasons why, like when you take off the elbow pad, it's presumed that you're like the reason you're getting serious. Cause now you're hitting them with the actual bone, you know what ah, I mean? Um, okay. But there are other, like, you know, medical things. Like, when you see wrestlers wearing KT tape, you know, or, like, knee braces, you know, those are definitely more medical. Although, you know, knee braces have also been used (laughs) as weapons in the past in wrestling because it's wrestling, so. (laughs) So, backstage, interview with the referee for the Zane Graves match because WWE (laughs) does not invest in their referees being onstage personalities so much as plot devices. Mm -hmm. It was like trying to focus my eyes on a single piece of drywall. (laughs) 
Like, <laughs> this guy seemed perfectly nice, and I wanted to love him and care about him, but the WWE has given their referees no character traits, so my eyes just kept sliding off of him. Like, I barely remember what he said. Uh, Sammy wasn't responding, so he called the match, gave it to Graves. Yeah. Devin Taylor seems relieved that this one question interview is over, and I feel terrible. I want this referee to get his own spinoff. The Adventures of Terrence Stripeman. That wasn't his name, but I like that name. This is all just like another piece of the effort to make the Zane Graves storyline feel like super realistic, you know, Mm -hmm. and like gritty in a weird way. Um, (laughs) Referees very rarely get personality to any promotion. There are a few examples where they do. Nick Patrick was uh, was the evil, the crooked referee back in the day. That was his thing. That's fun. I have lots of negative things to say about AEW. If Mm -hmm. I ever say anything negative about Bryce Remsburg or Aubrey Edwards, like shoot me in the face because I love both of them dearly. Yes, Uh, they're wonderful. There are some instances where referees will be folded into storylines, but usually if you're wanting to do that, like for a specific storyline, you'll see a wrestler assigned to be the special guest referee so that they can do something like that. But yeah, this was like, this was just like, okay, the referees being interviewed, you could tell he didn't sign up for this. Like, I know it is really sweet because not every referee gets out there going, I really want to make a name for myself as an actor. I They just want to yeah. do referee stuff and be part yeah. of the scene, but not go, I don't want to do improv. So still backstage, Graves is engaging in some workplace sexual harassment. Oh, my fucking Gross. God. He tells Ugh. Devin, you're cute. Where did they find you? And then he mumbles like discount Tom Hardy about how Barry Bonds is the undisputed home run king and his win over Zane counts. He stalks off and Devin is like, yeah, but I still kind of want to fuck him. And (laughs) I get it, Devin. I get it. I hate it, but I get it. Uh, At least he's a heel. At least he's a heel. Thank God. If he had done that as a face, it would have been like, WWE, you have to be set fire to. That's the only way we can cleanse whatever is possessing you. Next match, Sasha and Charlotte enter. Summer Rae Popsicle head in tow. So there's a women's match that starts happening. But the commentary is more interested in ragging on Alex Riley. And Alex Riley is yelling, I was not on the bench in college football. (laughs) I started. Do some research. (laughs) And it struck such a nerve with him that I was going, oh, Alex Riley might walk off here. He's pissed. He has some deep insecurities. We we know this about him already, but yeah. I accept that he has those deep insecurities and I don't think it's unreasonable that he feels that. I I think those are valid feelings. No, he should be insecure. (laughs) I think it is a poor choice to be sensitive to them in an on-camera situation. I think conceal don't feel is the secret (laughs) to being on commentary. The match starts out a little more aggressive than technical, although we do get an early face-sitting pin attempt from Sasha. Just want to say... It's appreciated, Miss Banks. Thank you. <laughs> she only pins Bailey for two, and then Sasha goes crazy, slapping the shit out of Bailey's back, throwing her to the corner, doing the enraged stomping of the grapes dance on Bailey's back. There was no <laughs> opera music playing in the background for that, but it was implied, and you you know exactly which opera song I'm talking about. It is the opera song 
that you play whenever there's grape stomping. Sasha gets Bailey into that eating your elbows hold and Bailey scuttles back between Sasha's legs and then pulls so Sasha flips over her own arms and then Bailey does the belly to belly for the win. Now we get an ad for WWE Legends House. Oh boy. Miles, would you like to comment on whatever the fuck that is? Because I don't know that I can explain it to anybody listening other than to say, imagine a bunch of senior citizens who were wrestlers and feel some need to continue the persona and want to kind of argue with one another in a household. Imagine if your grandpa wanted to start shit. (laughs) WWE has always just been really into wanting to do reality TV, basically since reality TV was a thing. You can see their obsession with it in the fact that it's where NXT came from and it's where like The Miz came from. And it's like, you know, so WWE loves reality television. There's a reason we have Total Divas. There's a reason we have Miz and Mrs. and all the other fucking WWE based shows that they have. Legends House. So this is <laughs> the beginning of 2014 and oh, yes. the network has just come out. They're trying to fill it with content. They want to have like new additional content because they're trying to drive people to the subscription. Right. So one of the things they do is they come up with this idea for Legends House, which is a ostensibly a reality TV show about a bunch of old former people who worked for WWF. You know, it's meant to be just sort of a like, what happens when you put all the WWE legends in one house together? Hi, Jinx and Sue. Um, (laughs) I'm pretty sure there was only the one season. It was very obviously disingenuous. And it was like, it was one of the things where it's like, let me put it this way. The season hinged on the big final emotional beat of Pat Patterson, who was an old school WWF guy, the guy who invented the Royal Rumble, for God's sake. Oh, wow. um, Coming out as gay. Oh, wow. It is just such a weird moment because on the one hand, great for him. On the other hand, all the other people in the fucking Legends house knew that Pat Patterson was gay and have known for a very long time. Mm. And it's simply a matter of WWE not having wanted to acknowledge it. So it's just a really weird space. It's like you get all these people, he's crying and like, they're all crying and like hugging him and everything. And like on a surface level, it's really sweet. But if you think about it for two fucking seconds, it's like, but you all know, and why are we doing this in 2014? And and so, yeah, I, Legends House is weird, and it's okay. It's indicative of really nothing more than this attempt that WWE was making at this time in history to come up with their own original content. I remember the start of reality television and the way in which a lot of it was faux contest based, and there's a lot of move away from quite a bit of that and no longer the everybody's in a house together tv shows a lot of those have really gone away i feel like yeah and i think wwe moved in a really positive direction toward a model where it was like at a certain point okay everybody knows what this is everybody knows it's a performance we're officially Mm -hmm. done pretending that anybody else is pretending so you know 
here. Adam Cole, Johnny Gargano, Ricochet, sit around a table and talk about your fucking independent careers and how you got to where you are and why you like wrestling each other as opponents. And like, so I think it really works in that line where it's like, let's mm. be honest. Like, let's just like have an honest conversation and learn about who these people are behind the artifice of wrestling. That's cool. And I think when WWE and other promotions go in that direction with the reality shit, it really works. But Legends House was very much they weren't quite ready to tear down that curtain, you know? That's interesting. Thank you for letting me know that. And I find it fascinating that they chose to capitalize on the coming out story that had happened years and years ago, but wanted to still make a buck on it. Yeah, and it's weird because he hadn't it's... officially come out, but like... And it's still moving in some way to me. Yeah. But yeah, it, I don't know how to feel about... The commercialization, I guess, of the coming out experience. Patterson was not publicly out, but like, yes, it was so widely known. Yeah, of course. Industry open secret. And not even industry. Like they would make jokes about it on television. Like they would make inside jokes about how gay Pat Patterson was. (laughs) And like everybody fucking knew. Like fans knew. That's wild. Thank you, Miles, for explaining what 2014 reality TV show from the WWE was built on. (laughs) You're welcome. And now Mojo Raleigh, just to really cleanse our palate. Mojo <laughs> Raleigh in action against Sylvester Lafort. Lafort is wearing a giant gold duster and he looks outstanding, like an Oscar statue if it was in a noir film. Yeah, he finally got his own ring gear. I'm so happy for him. I don't think you need me to tell you that Mojo Raleigh wins this in a walk with his butt dunk. <laughs> Yep. This time, he doesn't even spend any time being worked over by LaFour, yes. so he does come out looking better than usual, I would say. Massive improvement. Massive yeah. improvement. If you're going to have Mojo Raleigh on, and I guess you are, please yeah. do it this way. Brodus Clay comes out after Mojo Raleigh has destroyed LaFour to do his finisher on LaFour. Right. Like a dog that pees on the exact same spot that another dog has just peed upon. <laughs> I don't get it. If it was, like, about claiming territory, fine. I can accept that. I cannot accept going, you've already destroyed this man. I will come and destroy him a little bit extra. No reason. Just get in the mic. Just get on the mic and get in the middle of the ring and do it. Just kick him out of the ring. Don't fucking do your finisher again on this guy. But anyway. Don't you hate him, though, Bob? He's such a heel. I guess. I don't know. The idea of having feelings about Brodus Clay beyond... (sighs) fine is anathema to me but he gets on the bike to say he's a main event player and that adrian neville's not that great and i'm like uh (laughs) excuse me (laughs) disagree just outrage how could you say this it is as though you are saying the sky is fucking orange (laughs) no no so adrian neville comes out because obviously You've spoken his name in the sacred ring. Sure. He's been summoned. summoning circle, yeah. Comes out looking like the guy that works in the shoe department at Dillard's. (laughs) 90% sure he's wearing Dockers. They get in each other's faces and then Clay leaves for no reason. Like, he just said, come and face me right now. And then he gets faced and he's like, nah, I'm over it. What are you doing? It is a bizarre wrestling trope. 
to go, I'm going to start shit, but I don't want to finish it. Yeah, they start shit and the guy comes out of the ring. He's like, all right, I'm here. And then the the heel is always like, no, we're going to do this on my terms. We're going to do this on my my time. And it's like your terms, like when you just called him out to the ring. Like, was that not was, was that not on your terms? And frankly, like Adrian Neville looks like a badass in this segment. Like yeah, he, he comes does. out and he faces him down. And I love what he says. I thought you'd be taller. That was tremendous. Adrian <laughs> like, Neville saying that to somebody who is much bigger than he is. Yeah. Oh, chef kiss. And like, honestly, like Brodus Clay backed out and it just made me like, oh, well, you are nothing. Like Adrian yeah. is just going to beat the shit out of you. I don't care how much bigger you are. Yeah, it made Adrian Neville look amazing. Yes. Backstage, Devin is here to talk to Oliver Gray, a.k.a. Sir not appearing in this film, (laughs) until now. And then Camacho just rolls up to complain about Adam Rose, which is like, (laughs) you walked into shot to complain about another person who is not in the shot. Not somebody else. Interrupting Oliver Gray. Well... That's rude. So Ollie's going to fight him now. That's how that goes. But that's not what Camacho wanted. He just wanted to bitch about Adam Rose. I don't know. This episode is a real grab bag of crazy narrative leaps. Yeah, you're right. It's like one of those bags you get at birthday parties. Like, it's like, oh, hey, look, fucking the tiny little blowy thing. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't go to birthday parties. We get an ad for WrestleMania Access Weekend. I know nothing about this. You were already sniggering about it. Okay. Is it just like exhibition matches and meet and greets? It seems really cool, but I'm I'm just curious. Is it Comic-Con for wrestles? Basically, yeah. Like uh, WrestleMania, like when WrestleMania happens, it kind of takes over the city for a weekend. Most of the times, WrestleMania happens in like Los Angeles or whatever, say. And then every other American promotion is running a show in Los Angeles that weekend because there's wrestling fans just converging on the city. So in the days leading up to WrestleMania, you've got all these independent shows that you can go to. And then you have WrestleMania access, which is like, yeah, meet and greets. It's a it's matches that don't get televised and aren't like canon or whatever, unless they talk Mm. about them on, on the air on the television show. It's a fun fan experience. And like. It's something that I would like take my kids to if my kids okay. got into wrestling, which they will or they will be disowned. Oh, so. you don't mean that. <gasps> Do you mean that? <laughs> we'll find out. The great Kali is backstage talking to Devin and then Bailey flies in for a side hug. CJ Parker rolls up. He is not here for any of this, says the great Kali produces three times as much waste as anyone else. The great Kali doesn't like it. Speaks in Punjab and Bailey translates that they'll see each other in the ring next week by golly. So CJ Parker is going to fight the Great Kali. Miles, who is the Great Kali? Because I have heard precisely one thing about him. And it was the Punjabi prison match that was talked Mm -hmm. about on Tights and Fights. And it sounded horrible. The Great Kali is a wrestler from India. He was world champion at some point, like he was WWE champion at some point. They basically brought him in. You know, Vince loves big guys. He's Mm -hmm. really big. He's incredibly tall. He can't really move. (laughs) And he definitely doesn't speak very much English. And the English he does speak is with, a, as you heard, an insanely thick accent. Yeah. Um, But he's just a he's just a guy like he's going into the fucking WWE Hall of Fame this year, which is hilarious. Basically, like the great Kali was sort of WWE's 
entryway into the Indian wrestling market, essentially, okay. because he is a huge, huge star in India. I don't recommend ever watching his matches. He seems like a very nice individual and mm-hmm. like he's like he seems like a really cool guy, honestly. Like he um you know he gives money to cool causes and like he really seems like a neat dude. But like he can't he can't wrestle to save his life. I mean he's oh, he no. can barely move. Uh, uh, you know and 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 uh, so, yeah, he's a really interesting character in that sort of meta perspective. But I think he's more interesting in terms of like who he is in India than who he is here. It's weird that like fucking Great Kali is randomly showing up on an episode of NXT. Like, why don't you make that man do enough? <laughs> oh, well, I guess I'm going to get to see him in the ring. So you are. Yes. Something to look forward to. Sure. <laughs> I can't make my voice fade off into the far distance, but that's the implication there. And now all I have written down in my notes at the start of this is, oh, good Lord, this thing. Okay, so Bo Dallas is going to address the NXT universe. Bo is still going to keep going and he doesn't care if he has to start from the back of the line for a shot at the title. Bo Dallas compares himself to Daniel Bryan and calls Bryan a B-plus player. The crowd doesn't love it. He demands that the believers occupy the ring with him. I'm guessing that this is like everybody is supposed to come down from the audience and join him in the ring. It's a thing that Daniel Bryan did recently uh, to get his championship match at WrestleMania, which he has just won. They had a whole segment where it was Occupy Raw Mm because it was, you know, playing on the Occupy movement a few years after the fact. Um, (laughs) Timely. uh, Yeah. So, you know, they got a bunch of fans who I'm sure were, you know, I'm sure there were arrangements made ahead of time. It wasn't Mm -hmm. like they pulled random fans out of the audience, but they got a bunch of fans in Daniel Bryan shirts to occupy the ring. And it was kind of Daniel Bryan taking over Raw was part of the storyline. Wow. That must have been amazing when it happened. It was great. It was fucking fantastic. (laughs) That's okay. So we're playing on that. Like inversion of it. Yeah. So the audience stands up and turns their backs on the ring. Chanting no and Bo melts down completely descends into raving madness about giving them cookies being their champion this doesn't make any sense I was there for you I was there for all of you why it's really beautiful JBL comes out this (laughs) absentee father been a while (laughs) since you sent a Christmas card you smug shit (laughs) So he announces that Bo is going to get a chance to fight right the hell now with Justin Gabriel, the daredevil from South Africa. Justin Gabriel, what I want you to imagine is discount Vigo Mortensen (laughs) with better hair and slightly more elfin features. Now, are you picturing somebody hot? Yes. Okay. Now imagine somebody about 15% hotter than that. (laughs) Okay. That's Justin Gabriel. So now that you've described him, Bob... Yes. Perhaps you might enjoy a little trading card. (gasps) I would like a trading card because he is quite elfin and handsome. If he was Aragorn in Lord of the Rings, I would be more into it. Okay, so Justin Gabriel is an NXT original. He was part of the first season of Game Show NXT. Whoa. He didn't win and uh, thus supposedly failed to earn a WWE contract, but it was a fake reality show and they were all under contract already. So after that first season ended, all eight 
participants made their main roster debut at the same time, joining together in a villainous young upstart stable called The Nexus. As part of The Nexus, and later the Nexus spin-off group, The Core, Gabriel won the WWE Tag Team Championship three times alongside Heath Slater, but not many people came out of that whole story looking good, and it wasn't long before Gabriel found himself competing on the lower parts of the card. He actually ended up forming a tag team with Tyson Kidd for a while, mm-hmm. and the two of them were part of NXT Redemption, and they were involved in the early days of modern NXT prior to our coverage. His last NXT match prior to this one was on the April 17th, 2013 episode, so about a month oh. before we started covering the show. So it's basically been a full year since he was here. Um, okay. And he is honestly a really, really fun wrestler who always deserved better than we got. And he is going to be in our lives for a little while. And I'm very happy Yay. about it. So the bell goes and Bo is just avoiding Gabriel. The audience starts chanting, we want cookies. Clap, 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 clap. <laughs> Now it's grapple time. They take turns getting one another down to the mat in various pretzelings. And then Bo does his best cat impression. Does he want to be in the ring or out of the ring? Choose one. Stop doing this. Keeps running in and out. Bo gains control, beans Gabriel with a knee to the head. Gabriel is a high flyer and I love watching him. So I'm going, all right, I know Bo's job is to keep him from flying because he'll, but also let him fly. Why are you doing this? You're ruining this match for me, which I get is the point of Bo, but also I resented it. Bo clotheslines the life force out of Gabriel, tries to whip him, but Gabriel reverses it, flings him into the turnbuckles, and follows it up with a flurry of kicks. He suplexes Bo and does a really lovely bridge, which I don't get to see dudes do very often. He lines up a springboard moonsault, effortlessly sailing through the air to land belly first on the mat because Bo rolled out of the way. Boo! (laughs) Bo winds up Gabriel's arm behind Gabriel's back and just falls back, bringing Gabriel down on his head in a DDT. The audience is still like, eh, I don't hate it, I guess. (laughs) This time, there were about four screams from the audience whenever Bo pinned Gabriel for the win. So, Miles, what do we get narratively out of Bo defeating Gabriel? Because I... think I expected Gabriel to win since he's re-debuting after a year away. I get that they don't want to make Bo look weak, but I was still sort of going, what's happening? What are we getting out of this? First of all, it's telling us where both of these two people are going forward. So Bo, who many expected to be moving on to the main roster pretty much immediately after he lost the title, is not moving on quite yet. Um, and Gabriel, who is technically a main roster star, but is definitely like closer to the Tyson kids of the world than to like the Cesaro's and Sheamus's and Seth Rollins. Yeah, exactly. With Bo winning this match, it's like Justin Gabriel is back, but he's like NXT material. You know what I mean? He's going to be he's going to be a member of the NXT mid card. He's actually not as good as Bo Dallas, who is an NXT main eventer still. Um, It reintroduces Justin Gabriel at a specific place on the card, basically Mm. letting us know right away that he's not a main eventer. They're wrong, though, Miles. I agree. Okay. He has never been given his due. In the defense of the people who haven't given him his due, it's hard to trust him when he might at any point, like, go climb a mountain and break both of his legs. So who knows? Oh, you know, I can see how hiring an actual daredevil is certainly a risk for (laughs) your ability to plan a show when you're like, well, 
you did just break your elbow. Yeah, he's out of his mind and I love him. Aww. All right, Bob. Well, thank you so much for that breakdown. What did you think of this very strange episode of NXT? You know, I forgot you were going to ask me this question. And now Uh upon reflection, it was just a bunch of really weird character beats that didn't mean a whole lot to me. I didn't get a lot out of this episode as a viewing experience, Mm -hmm. but I certainly got some entertainment out of it. I didn't get a lot of wrestles that I cared about. I got a lot of weird character shit that made me go, you know, I'm pretty glad I watch wrestling. This is some funky shit. (laughs) All right. Well, with that in mind, let's get into the sights, sounds and feels of pro wrestling. Megan Bob, for this episode, what did your elf eyes see? I don't know if you caught this. It was very quick. Right before Sasha Banks' music starts and the camera cuts to her entrance, mm-hmm. Bailey is in the ring with Eden, Brandy Rhodes, and Bailey touches her arm gently, like, Hi, nice to meet you. And Eden does this happy little hello wave at Bailey, and it's really sweet, and I loved it. Oh, I did not catch that. That's great. It's so cute. Miles, what did your elf eyes see? Actually, mine is also Bailey related. Um, <gasps> oh, yes. Yeah, we kind of glossed over the Sasha Bailey match a little bit, not because it was bad, but kind of almost the opposite. It was like, it's a Sasha Bailey match. It's really good. Moving on. But I was struck in this one in particular with the way Bailey moves in the ring and the way she uses momentum in the ring. In particular, there was a moment where she throws Sasha into the corner. So mm-hmm. Sasha hits the turnbuckle. Bob. Turnbuckle. And then she does this jumping clothesline that just looked so good. And if you watch her throughout the match, like the way she's moving, the way she's using the ropes, I think it's one of the things that make her. I've talked about this this with Sasha before, about how Sasha is an expert at making use of her environment and using every Mm -hmm. part of the ring to her advantage. And Bailey does that, too. And with Bailey in particular, you can see because she's a babyface and she's doing a lot of bouncy off the ropes moves, mm-hmm. she really fucking bounces off those ropes, man. Like, Bailey gets some speed going, and she actually uses the spring in the ropes to help her uh, moves look good and to help her get where she needs to be in the ring. And I was just generally, like, really impressed by her in this match. I grow more appreciative of Bailey as an in-ring wrestler, like what she mm. does bell to bell every time I watch her. She's just wow. so impressive. I'm going to keep an eye on Bailey going forward and sort of watch for that stuff because I think I take for granted how good Bailey is and I can get lazy watching a Bailey match because I'm mm-hmm. like, well, it's about character and Bailey's always good in the ring. So what am I doing? It's like just basic competence, right? It's like yeah. almost invisible because it's so well done that you have nothing to say about it. You know? Yes. Yes. I feel like that's so true in wrestling that the very best wrestling, you don't know how good it is. They've made every effort to make it seem like it's not a big deal. Absolutely. All right, Bob, what did your Vulcan ears hear? I heard so many things, Miles. I struggle to pick one. I think I may need to read all of them, but I will give you the first one now, (laughs) which is from the WrestleMania access weekend thing. 
I just can't wait to be out there and show them some Frenchness. <laughs> it's Sylvester LaFour getting ready to like go in the ring and getting pumped. And that was his like, I'm going to go show them Frenchness. And it was like, I think they came here for wrestling, but I'm very pleased that you <laughs> came here to show them Frenchness. All right. What did your Vulcan ears hear, Miles? A couple of things, too. But I think what I want to talk about is a lot of use of foreign languages in this episode and like not in a bad way. Like it was all mm. coming from like baby faces or people who were being baby faces in that moment. You've got Kali speaking Punjabi and then Bailey mm-hmm. revealing that she's learning Punjabi and translating yeah. for him. Also, apparently he's slippery, which is amazing. Oh, um, my God. Yes. The quote was. As Bailey is hugging him, I'm great. I'm great now. You're, you're a little slippery. You're a little slippery. It's so cute. <laughs> and then uh, you've got JBL speaking Afrikaans when yeah. he introduces Justin Gabriel to fight Bo Dallas. Even Oliver Gray, who fucking might as well be speaking another language, because that is the stiffest upper lipped, stuffiest British accent I have ever, ever heard in my life. It was a bit like watching Hugh Grant cut a promo. (laughs) (laughs) I just had never heard him talk before. Yeah, right. It's not what I expected. I was like, are are you from Eaton? Are you (laughs) recruiting for Eaton here? What is happening? It was, I was just so taken aback. So the use of language in general, but uh, especially Oliver Gray, whatever the fuck he was doing. Yeah, I was wondering, is that his real accent? Because that's a very stiff accent. I mean, he's definitely British in real life, but I don't know if he's playing it up or not. I suspect he might be. And I want to also shout out C.J. Parker's line whenever he is describing how much waste the Great Kali somehow produces because he's bigger. Three times the waste as the average wandering generality out there in the NXT (laughs) universe. As a writer, I was kind of jealous of that line and going wandering generality. Ooh, ooh, that's good. A lot of good lines in this one. A lot of good little character moments. All right, Megan Bob, what did your human heart feel? I felt so proud of Bo. He did an amazing job. I want to say I feel proud of Bo as an actor. He did a great job acting that descent into madness. I feel like he didn't go nearly as Nick Cage as I would have loved him to do. But this was a big deal moment that they had been working up to is the the crumbling of the facade. Because all this time he's been going like, the audience loves me, the audience loves me. And so obviously this is the payoff for all of that that they've been setting up. And I think it would have been easy for the payoff to go badly or just not feel worth it. Mm -hmm. And seeing Bo crumpled in the ring going as the audience is going no more Bo and hearing Bo Dallas weakly say, let's go Bo. Let's go Bo. I was really like, you did good, kid. You did good. This is pretty excellent. Yours is exactly the same as mine. Like the exact same thing. I cannot stress enough how wonderful he was, how effortlessly he maintained the consistency of his character while doing it and how much he really sold. Like he knew that this was a moment they had been building up to for like a year and he fucking nailed it. And I, I'm I'm not sure I'm, I'm still trying to figure out how I feel about where it goes from here. And I'm very curious about what you feel about where it goes from here, but God, 
Exactly right. When he was in the ring, when, I gave you cookies. Like, <sighs> he's just, he is the best character on NXT in mm. that moment. Like, he's just a fully realized, amazingly developed character. And that is what wrestling can give you beyond the actual in-ring, you know, activity. It's like, it gives you these characters and and the crowd interaction. That's why the crowd interaction is so important. They're just so buying in. They yes. know him. They've been waiting for him to finally realize this. They can fucking mock him even harder. <laughs> <laughs> like, it is just absolute perfection. It makes me think that Bo Dallas is maybe the standout star of NXT and we have not realized it until now and neither did NXT. It's not that Sami Zayn and everybody else isn't. It's that Bo Dallas is out here doing the work in a way that is kind of on a different level than anyone else is doing it. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those things too, where they almost stumbled into it. You know what I mean? Like he wasn't supposed to be a heel. He was supposed to be a baby face and they, they just kind of naturally went with what the crowd was doing. And sometimes when you do that and when you got a performer who can really pull it off and really like make you believe it, like to take his natural lack of charisma, (laughs) to take his natural awkwardness and his natural inability to connect with the crowd and turn that into his character and then allow him in that way to connect with the crowd is just utterly masterful. (laughs) Like they weaponized his weaknesses and it's incredible. I compare him sometimes in my mind to Bray Wyatt and Bray Wyatt's effortless, just innate connection to the crowd and his insane yes. charisma. Bo Dallas is pretty much on that level, too. He's just doing a different thing. And it's not a thing that connects in the same way. And so it's never going to look as showy. I don't know. I feel like Bo Dallas has not. And I know to some extent never will get the due that he deserves for being this talented you know he's one of the guys where it's like you can make the argument that this would never work on the main (laughs) roster this would never work when you're touring across the country you know what i mean you have to have in this building with these fans who have been following you for this long and who have been waiting and waiting for you to realize that they fucking hate you so it's one of those things where it's like you know i i do think that if he had been allowed more creative freedom and if he had been allowed to do more in general on the main roster he would have had a more successful career but i also think that this in particular could not have happened anywhere else and it's one of the reasons i love nxt it is interesting that we are now on episode 47 and that where i started out really frustrated and hating bo dallas for doing wrestles that i don't particularly find interesting that now we're sort of won over completely and going, actually, Bo Dallas is the best damn thing on this show. He still Every doesn't time, wrestle a style that I love, but that's not right. the point. Every time he's on the show, our episode becomes about how much we love him. So I think <laughs> that's that says so it all. weird. All right. Well, those were the sight sounds and feels of pro wrestling. It is now time for wrestling term of the week. But first, we got to hear Bob's fanfic explaining the wrestling history of the week from two episodes ago, episode 45, when we discussed China. All right. Krista Contino-Sambi made this request. Mm. And I think had you in mind. (laughs) 
Vin lay on the cot, looking small in her injured state. Kelsier thought back to the failed battle royal of Credit Shaw and clenched his jaw. Vin looked up <laughs> and gave him a smile that turned into a grimace as she tried to move. Would you like a glass of water? Kelsier asked. It was what one offered to a person in their sickbed. He wasn't especially certain why, but he wasn't sure what else to say to Vin after almost losing her, his adopted daughter. Vin sat up gingerly. Thank you, yes. There was a pause. Vin sighed. Well, the match could have gone better. Kelsier nodded. It could have, but that is often the price for being exceptional when you are not one of the chosen few. Vin held up an injured arm. And well do I know it. I am less sure whether it's a fight I can win. Kelsier looked thoughtful. There have been others before you. You will not be the last to outgrow the size of the role you have been given. There have been others that defied all restrictions placed on them. You will rise from this, and you will break every chain that has tried to hold back your power. Vin tilted her head thoughtfully. Where are these defiers? What happened to them? Kelsier replied. She gave all that she could to wrestling and changed the world so that you could step into it and take your place. Vin raised an eyebrow. I notice you don't say there's a happy ending to her story. Kelsier shook his head. No, but she and the other women wrestlers of the past are remembered by the people who matter. Remembered by us and honored for paving the way that has led to you and what you can do. And what can I do? Asked Vin. Kelsier smiled. What can you not? You have a power that most men envy. Power that had you been born a man would have made you one of the most deadly and influential people in all of wrestling. But you are not a man, nor a sex object to be paraded around as a valet or manager. You don't have to play by their rules, and that makes you even more powerful. The question, Vin, is not what you can do in the ring. It is, what will you do? I love it so much. Have you read Mistborn, Bob? I have not read Mistborn. I had to kind of piece it together a little bit from a little bit of research and pulling together the pieces of how that relationship might work and how that... you. Did a Quite really look. great job with the voices of the characters. So oh, thank, thank you, you for that. I was thinking whenever I wrote this about how China didn't change the world immediately and it took a while for it to catch on, but without mm-hmm. any kind of imprint of what that could be, somebody else would have had to invent that wheel before anybody else could do anything. And it's a real bummer that China isn't in the WWE Hall of Fame and it seems like a, a fucking shame that the world wasn't ready for somebody doing something that fucking cool and that WWE were too much of cowards to embrace this world of intergender wrestling when they had the opportunity. Well, and it's such an appropriate book series to go to, actually, because one of the major themes of Mistborn is like fighting back against oppression. And even if you lose, you have inspired the next generation to continue fighting, which is basically what China did in wrestling. I'm not saying she was, you know, a saint, but... No, I'm um, sure not. I don't... (laughs) I don't think I'll be canonized either. But yeah, to frame her as sort of a a forgotten hero who paved the way for those that would come after her uh, while reaping virtually none of the reward is an incredibly uh, accurate way to position her. And I love Mistborn. And uh, if you uh, are into Mistborn or want to become into Mistborn... You should become a patron of the Unspoiled podcast, where I'm currently covering the Mistborn series with Natasha Winters, so go do that. And now it is time for this episode's wrestling term of the week, which is Double Champion. 
So as we mentioned earlier, between this episode and the last one, Paige made her debut on Raw and defeated AJ Lee to become the new WWE Divas Champion. Paige is also still the holder of the NXT Women's Championship, making her a double champion. So I thought this was a good time to explain how double champions work in wrestling. Yes, please. Of course, because it's wrestling, this isn't the easiest thing to explain because it depends entirely on which championships are involved and what kind of story you want to tell. Do I have to have a flow chart? Uh, Maybe. So the most common type of double champion you'll see is when a wrestler has a singles belt, like the world title or the intercontinental title, and then also wins the tag team championship alongside a partner. Yeah. There are a few narrative reasons to do this, like maybe it's the world champion and his next challenger being forced to team together and then winning the titles as as a new wrinkle in their feud. Mm. Or maybe you just want one or both members of a tag team to seem cooler or more intimidating by also giving them singles gold. In this case... How you handle it is pretty simple. You're just competing in two different divisions. So while that is more work for you, it's not really any kind of narrative problem. There's never going to be a question of like which title you're defending in a given match, for example. Things get a little dicier when you're holding two different singles titles. So as a case study, consider The Ultimate Warrior. In 1990, he was the Intercontinental Champion, which is a mid-card title. But he was also a hugely popular rising star in the WWF, and Vince wanted to make him a WWF champion. So, at WrestleMania 6, he wrestled Hulk Hogan in the main event with both titles on the line. Warrior won the match, became WWF champion, and then immediately vacated the Intercontinental title because, at the time, you weren't allowed to hold two singles belts. From a meta perspective, you have this rule because the whole point of a mid-card championship is to give the wrestlers in the mid-card something to fight over. And if you're world champion, you're not in the mid-card anymore. Yeah. When you vacate a championship, you stop being champion, and the promotion has to figure out some way to crown a new one, usually a tournament. In the meantime, the championship simply does not have a holder. It is The holder is vacant. The whole only one singles belt at a time thing is no longer a strict rule in WWE, which has produced several double champions in the years since and handled all of them in ways that are specific to their situations and the story being told in that moment. But titles are still occasionally vacated for any number of storyline reasons, usually because it's just fun to give people a tournament to crown a new champion. Yeah. Like, we all love tournaments. It's great. Now, sometimes... You put two singles championships on one wrestler for a very different reason, to unify the two belts. This is something that happened recently in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Kota Ibushi was holding both the IWGP heavyweight title and the Intercontinental title, which have now both been retired in favor of a new title that combines the two. WWE has also done this on numerous occasions over the years. After purchasing WCW to end the Monday Night Wars, they unified the WWF Championship and the WCW Championship into the Undisputed Championship, and then the belts were split up again, and then they were unified again, and then they came up with a Universal Championship, and it's a whole fucking mess. Mm. The point is, the thing to take away from this is that wrestling titles come and go. They retire, they unretire, they change names, they change designs. There's confusion about lineage. They are nebulous and fleeting things that are constantly subject to the winds of change. A wrestler becoming a double champion is often, but not always, a sign that something about those titles is changing, and the double champion is acting as the narrative device to provide an in-universe explanation for why the titles are changing. Oh. 
And finally, there's titles in NXT, which aren't just a lower tier of championship in the hierarchy of WWE. They exist on an entirely different show that rarely interacts with the main roster. So when Paige showed up to Raw to win the Divas title, she didn't have the NXT Women's Championship with her. They mentioned she was champion, but she didn't bring the belt. She's also been pretty much officially called up to the main roster at this point, given that she's already got the championship. So what do you do in this situation? It was the first time NXT had to deal with one of their champions getting called up before losing her NXT title, and we will see how they handle it moving forward. I just wanted to make you aware of the most common outcomes for this situation. Because it ultimately defeats the purpose of having multiple championships when one person is holding multiple championships, yeah. double champions aren't usually double champions very long. Mm. And come back on our, well, not on our next episode, come back in two episodes for Bob's fanfic explaining the double champion. Next episode, we have a guest, so we we're not doing do. it on that one. But uh, in episode 49... We will hear Bob's fanfic explaining double champions. Well, Bob, it's been a hell of an episode. It We've has. We've had a lot of fun. Got to finish things up, though, with the cheap pop quiz. <gasps> I forgot about the cheap pop quiz. <laughs> <laughs> We've only been doing this for 47 episodes. Question number one. On the next episode, The Ascension takes on... <gasps> Come Another on. jobber tag team. I'm just <sighs> telling you what happens. I, I can't okay. make jokes about it anymore. <laughs> however, <laughs> however, there is actually another tag team match on the show. Oh, what? Which is designed to introduce a brand new regular tag team in NXT. So it is melting. <laughs> which two wrestlers that we've seen before as jobbers make up NXT's new and only non-ascension tag team? <laughs> Love it. Is it A, Wesley Blake and Cal Bishop? B, Jason Jordan and Ty Dillinger? C, Baron Corbin and Sawyer Fulton? C, Casey Marion and Mike Labosca? Or E, Marcus Louis and Travis Tyler? Oof. A lot of these sound really plausible. Mm-hmm. I think the one with Ty Dillinger... Okay, Jason Jordan and Ty Dillinger? I think so. I have vague memories of hearing through the grapevine that he's a thing later on in NXT, and I guess we're starting to get to later on in NXT. Okay, B is your answer. Question number two. How does the NXT audience react to CJ Parker's in-ring promo about how bad we all are for the environment? Is it A, they actually cheer him because they're mostly college students, so they know the planet is dying? <laughs> B, they start off indifferent, but seem to get more into him as the promo goes on. C, they remain totally indifferent to CJ Parker and basically everything he says. D, they boo him dutifully, but it's obvious their hearts aren't even really into that. Or E, they chant global warming at him as though actively rooting for climate change. Oh, please not E. God, uh, please not E. Okay, I'm so afraid. <laughs> <sighs> Given what I've seen in the past, I know this uh -huh. might be a totally different taping and a totally different audience. Sure. But traditionally, 
I can imagine the audience booing dutifully, but not giving a shit. Okay. <laughs> Obligatory boos that they're like, all right, I'll give you a boo. Boo. Uh-huh. <laughs> so choosing D. Okay. Question number three. What notable thing occurs during a backstage segment involving the BFFs? Is it A, Summer Ray is back and the three are more united than ever. B, Summer Rae is back and she's pissed at Sasha for all the matches she's been losing recently. C, Summer Rae isn't back, but Charlotte is pissed at Sasha for all the matches she's been losing and declares that she's taking over leadership of the group. D, Charlotte tries to voice her concerns about Sasha's losses, but Sasha talks over her and asserts her leadership over the group in the absence of Summer Rae. Or E, Alicia Fox interrupts the segment to tell Charlotte and Sasha that they are clearly lost without Summer and they should accept her as leader of the BFFs. I want Alicia Fox to get to do a wrestle, but that seems unlikely. I don't think Summer Rae is back yet. I don't know how you can assert leadership over what is essentially a friendship. Like, there's just two of you. This isn't a group thing. This is just the two of you. But that wouldn't stop wrestling from doing it. So I'm going to say Charlotte asserts her leadership over this group and is mad at Sasha for losing. Okay, so that is answer C. Charlotte is mad at Sasha for losing and declares that she is taking over leadership of the group. I hope I got at least one point. We'll see. All right. Well, come back on the next episode to find out exactly how many points Bob received and how much closer they are to getting that delicious 15 vote guest hosted romance novel bonus episode. I thirst for it. Well, that's about all we got for this episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. Bob, thank you, as always, for joining me. Thank you for introducing me to an alien that I love almost as much as I love those blue alien books that you absolutely hate. (laughs) (laughs) If it was about Bo Dallas, Uh, you would have fucking loved it. You know what? It's probably true. Bo Dallas probably has a spur. No, let's not go there. (laughs) No. Do you know what else I love, Bob? What? I love our patrons. God, I, they're so... We do not deserve how beautiful and perfect they are. They are a no, garden of don't. wonder, and we are like... We water them never never frequently enough. Y'all are perfect and gorgeous, and we love every single one of your freaking faces. Yeah, and we've been uh, working very hard on getting all of the promised content over to you, and I can now announce officially that both the Illumins recording yep. bonus episode... And the Scooby-Doo WrestleMania mystery bonus episode will be in your hot little hands before episode 48. So in the next two weeks between this episode and the next one, you will have uh, some very cool bonus content. We are finally watering you. Uh, I understand if you're getting a little bit brown, your leaves drooping slightly. Skeletor would be ashamed. Yes. But trust me when I say that content is coming. Thank you so much for your patience. And thank you so much to our new Next Wrestling Fan Federation champion, Bob. Oh, man. Wait, is this a thank you or is this an oh, no? Well, it's a little bit of both. Okay. uh, Because our new champion is our first champion. (gasps) We are once again living under the boot heel of Neil. I mean, he's so cute. Like, he's so good looking, but also so dangerous and, and like mean. 
I know you're a big fan. No matter like all the dastardly shenanigans that Neil gets up to, he never seems to completely turn you off and make you boo him. No, so. it's that long, beautiful hair. If he didn't have that long, if he cuts it, I'm going to be like, uh, <laughs> I don't know. No, it's okay, baby. If you cut your hair, I'll still love you. But your hair is very cool. <laughs> So thank you so much to Neil. Neil uh, moved up in his uh, Patreon pledging to a higher level. And as a result of that, he gets to win the title again. So yes. uh, Neil, another two-time champion here at the Next Wrestling Fan Federation. Thank you so much for your contributions, buddy. We love you. We love all of you who listen, who pledge, who just hang out with us and talk to us about wrestling on social media, in the Smash Fiction Fan Faction, and during our watch parties, which we are uh, having another one. On May 30th. Yes. I'm not sure we clarified the date before. We might have gotten it wrong. That's We're very not entirely likely. sure. <laughs> but it is May 30th, Sunday, May 30th at 1 p.m. Pacific time. We're going to be watching some wrestling. Yeah. Again, uh, car details to come. I really do want to watch um, the I'm Sorry I Love You match, okay. though. I really want to watch the, that Ric Flair, Shawn Michaels match, Bob. If especially I because don't feel anything about it, I'm so sorry in advance. I may go... It's just two dudes I don't know anything about. It's possible. So yeah, that's all going down May 30th, 1 p.m. Pacific on cast. If you've already uh, done a watch party with us on cast, it's just the same room as always. And if not, we will post the links to that on all over our social media and in the fan faction uh, and everywhere that uh, you interact with us. Bob, anything you want to say to our listeners before we go? Watch your mailbox if you are a $10 and up patron because... Miles and I are going to be able to see one another in actual person because we're we're fully vaccinated and have the strength of science coursing through our veins. Yeah, um, it's fucking insane. And so we are going to get to sign those postcards at long last and mail them out to you. And I don't want to brag, but I got some pretty cool stamps. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, they're pretty cool. And also, we're going to write some lovely things on there. And the art looks friggin' terrific. Miles can attest that yeah. it came through looking just fine. It, the mail did not did not biff it horribly. If yours does arrive in poor condition, do let us know. It's not like we don't have extras. So It looks amazing. And do you want to tell us now uh, who the artist is on that? So the artist is, and I'm going to probably butcher this a bit, Sakisaku on Twitter, at S-A-C-I-S-A. CCU. Their art is freaking fantastic. I love it so much. A lot of good stuff coming your way if you're a patron. We really appreciate you. We really appreciate everybody that uh, is hanging out with us and and going on this journey with us on the show. So thank you all so much. And uh, we will see you again in two weeks with a new episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. Bye! The Next Wrestling Fan is produced by Miles Schneiderman and Megan Bob, with logo design by Claire Mulcairin. Special thanks to Rafael Medina for our theme song, Learn Buckle. You can follow his creative work on Twitter at EarthMofo. Also thanks to Kevin McLeod for additional music and stingers, which are licensed under Creative Commons. Find his work at www.incompetech.com. We're on Twitter and Facebook as the NXT Wrestling Fan. Come talk to us. 
You can also follow Miles on Twitter at MJ Schneiderman and Megan Bob at Megan Bobness. The NXT Wrestling Fan is made possible thanks to our supporters on Patreon. If you'd like to help us out, go to patreon.com slash NXT Wrestling Fan and join our fantastic stable of contributors. They're the best. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to email us at nxtwrestlingfan at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. Twitter should have its own smash fiction. That way it can learn the art of negotiation. <laughs> yes. Which is famously what we all did at the end of every Absolutely. episode. We yeah. sat down and we hammered out a reasonable compromise. There were never any hard feelings whatsoever at the end. <laughs>No, you have to do the flanger with crotch wide open. It's got, you got to get it. Like you have to sing from the very back of your throat to be that creep uh, guy. I will accept your superiority in the realm of Scott Stapp impersonations. Oh man. I also remembered his name, but was too embarrassed to admit that I knew it. <laughs> oh, fuck that shit. I listened to Creed. I, I'm not ashamed of it. With arms wide open, I don't know the rest of the lyrics to this song and I've forgotten how it goes. I'm gonna look up the lyrics to the song, I'm starting to sound like Strong Bad.